Hey guys, this is Joe. One day you're going to be nice to me. We may both be dead and buried, but you're going to be nice. Ellie Civil. What's up, guys? It's Eric. You want to boycott someone, you got to start with the goddamn barber that fucked up your head. From Spike Lee. On the hottest day of the summer. It's going to be a scorching day. You can do nothing. You the man. No, you the man. No, you the man. No, you the man. You can do something. Trust me. Mookie, the last time I trusted you, we ended up with a son. Or you can. Do the right thing. Rated R. You're listening to Worth a Late Fee, the podcast where two former video rental clerks watch movies that they may have recommended at one time to see if they still think the film would be worth keeping an extra day or two to watch again, even if it meant paying a late fee. How you doing, Joe? Not bad, Eric. Not bad. Good. Good. Crazy we, uh, times. We, uh, I, uh, we were just talking about I got my hard drive, got my software installed, so that'll be up and running pretty soon. Exciting about yep. that. Hopefully, I've already... I'm already thinking worst case scenario, but so far this, I run all the tests before, which I didn't do the last time, and the hard drive looks good. No bad sectors, so it's a good. I don't sign. even know what any of that means, so that that's good. It's a good. That's sign. why you handle that stuff, yeah, <laughs> and I don't. Um, Anything else new? So I talked to. Um, we talked about last time for our students. We had a state rep come in to talk about voting and community, and it went really well. It was really cool, and uh, my friend. Drishka, my, uh, she had a movie come out and she starred in it, and that nice. was also pretty cool. Yeah, so I watched that. It was <clears throat> through a streaming service um, called Aha, and it, it it's I, I can't, we actually stream here like in America. It's you can pay through USD and everything, so it's kind of convenient. The subtitles, which was nice, but yeah, it was actually it was her first feature. She's been kind of getting into uh, acting. She had a short film that's kind of going via going like around the awards festivals. and where is she now she's in india right now okay okay so um but yes she's her short film's getting a lot of praise right now and her first feature i haven't looked in i haven't looked into reviews or anything but she was really good in it so that's awesome yeah so you said it was subtitles because it's subtitles, it's an indian yeah. film okay cool yep. yeah no yep. that's awesome yep. good for her congratulations drishka best of best of luck i um so Joe and I both go to this coffee shop in uh, in Haverhill where we live, <clears throat> and the owner is this guy's name Aziz, and he's a he's from Morocco. He's the nicest person in the world. So, and I help him out with social media a little bit, and uh, some girl who's like a she's a very, pretty loyal customer of his, messaged his account like the the coffee shop's account last night, and it kind of goes to me. As he watches it too, but I usually handle it, and um she wanted to know she wanted to buy her mother-in-law i can't remember the name of the dish but it's a dish that's uh like a it's like a cooking pot that's very popular in moroccan food it starts with a t i think but i don't want to guess and <laughs> that's why i say that <laughs> yeah so um and aziz uses them all the time and so i sent it to him and i was like hey you know just so you know this late girl has his questions and he's like Tell her I have one for her. Oh, that's, he's, like, he's the best, man. So so then I wanted to make sure, because I didn't tell him that it was a, for a gift. So I was like, well, is it new? Because she's, she wants to give it to somebody. He's like, yes. And so I sent it to, to the girl, and she's like, well, how much is it? And Aziz is like, she can just have it. And I'm like, dude, you're too nice. Like, And so the, uh, credit to the girl. That's how you win a customer over. She'll be back for sure. So. Well, she already loves him. And, and credit to the girl she was she basically wrote back because i told her like yeah come by tomorrow at this time and pick it up and she wrote back and was like i'm paying for it but i'll be by tomorrow and i was like good for you good for yep. you yeah he's he's when i like i took in the past when i took clients there he'd always give them free stuff i'm like Ozzy, Ozzy, you, you, gotta, you gotta make money you gotta make right, money exactly <laughs> it's a business every, yeah i go i go there every day and he tries to give me a free coffee for helping out with social media and i'm like aziz i don't i'm not gonna want to come here it makes me look like a jerk if I show up every day and you give me a free coffee. I'm like, <laughs> I want to pay for the coffee. So, but yeah. So do you, do you run um, both accounts or just the Instagram? I'm curious. Just I the get, Instagram. Just the Instagram. Does he run Facebook? Or does someone else do that? He does, but I don't know how I act. I don't think he's that active on it. So, yeah. Um, so you guys probably already heard the trailer. And last episode 
I told, we told you how we're going to be doing do the right thing. And so we recorded last episode a week ago today, right? Yeah. It was a week ago. So we recorded last episode on August 19th. This is probably being released like a couple months down the road, but, um, and we said we were going to do do the right thing from Spike Lee. And it was my choice. And I picked it because I've been, I've been thinking about doing it for a while since we started the podcast, you know, with everything that's going on in the U S and, um, all the turmoil and everything like that. But at the same time, I was kind of hesitant because I didn't want to do it right after that everything blew up because a few things, a lot of other people were already talking about the film and I was kind of hoping that the dust settled a little bit and then we could bring it up again and have the conversation all over again. You know, now that plan went to, went to shit because a couple days after we recorded that, where I said, Oh, we're going to do this movie. There was another incident of, um, if you guys haven't seen do the right thing, first of all, stop listening to the podcast, go see the movie. But so there was another incident of police brutality a few days ago. So, um, it's unfortunately all too relevant again. Um, right back where we started or maybe we never left, but, um, I, I know Joe mentioned a little bit that they had a politician stop by his school. And I, for anyone that is listening, I kind of want to, whatever talks we have about the movie, I don't want to, I just want to talk about it without like the racial stuff and kind of leave the political parties out of it and just be able to sit and regardless of what side of the aisle you sit on, talk about the film. So, um, we're doing, like I said, we're doing do the right thing. And it's, a it's an extremely powerful movie. So, but at the same time, it's, it's entertaining and everything like that. So, um, that's what we're going to be doing. Joe, I know you have a different memory of the film than I do, than most people do, but because if you studied, you said you studied it when you went to film school in New York, but what, what was your first memory and what do you think of when you think of the movie? Honestly, I don't remember what my first memory was. I know I've kind of, I never really understood it when it came out and I started a long time. I, the first time I saw it was when I was younger and I didn't understand it fully. Um, Same. And then I went to school and again, we talked about, I went to school for our screenwriting and um, this is one of the films we kind of looked at the screenplay and analyzed it and like different act breaks and so forth. Um, and then that's where I kind of got a better understanding of what's happening and all like it's the movie made a lot more sense to me seeing it as a, you know, as a, a young adult than when I was, you know, 13 years old, for example. Um, but it's, it's just like Eric was saying, it's even more impactful now than it ever has been in my, in my memory, at least this is, this is the most impact. This is, this movie is as yeah. relevant as it can be right now. It definitely hits you a different way. Than, yeah. Yeah. Um, I kind of, same thing. I have a few different memories of the film. I didn't see this movie until I think I was probably like 17 or 18 or something like that. And I think, um, and this is a, this is stupid, but, I think growing up, I always saw Spike Lee as like the guy who was courtside at Knicks games and being from Boston and and whatever, you kind of just, he kind of seemed annoying, which is lame on my part because I didn't really know anything about him. But <clears throat> so I, I probably avoided the, the film for that reason. But a friend of mine is actually from Brooklyn. So I think I was probably like 17 or 18 or so. He's a huge fan of the movie. We watched it. I liked it. Um, but like you said, I didn't. I didn't really fully grasp it um, because it it didn't really hit home. Um, and I think probably because of the Spike Lee thing too. But um, And then when I started at Movie Scene, the rental store that Joe, uh, Joe and I worked at, I saw the movie 25th Hour with Edward Norton, which is another Spike Lee movie and, a, and a, <clears throat> another great one. Um, and a coworker at the time said that I needed to see, see Do the Right Thing. And I was like, oh, no. I already saw that. And he told me that he, I think he could tell that I, I didn't really give it the fair chance that I should have. And he insisted that I watched it again that time. I got why it was amazing as a film. Like you said, in, in the school setting, like um, the cinematography and the everything. I, I really liked it. And I actually started watching that kind of caused me to go down the, the Spike Lee path and see a bunch more of his, some other films. So, 
And then my third memory was I watched it a few months ago when all this started, uh, restarted, whatever you want to say. And just like you just said, it, it hits you totally different now because I think that being from the Northeast, which I know Boston has like a, Boston has a reputation for some racial stuff and it's a, it's a well-earned reputation, unfortunately, but I think we're always, I always kind of think of racial stuff as happening like in the South or like that. So I was kind of ignorant to, to this stuff still happening. And then when you watch, I watched it a few months ago and this film was made in 1989 and this movie could be made yesterday, unfortunately. And it's just, it's so much stuff hasn't changed. So it definitely hit me the hardest when I watched it a few months ago and then I rewatched it yesterday to get ready for the pod and kind of make sure I was up to date. But see, and that's um, the thing, like I was, I haven't watched it since school. So this is my right. first time revisiting it. So it's been what, like seven years. Right. So it's been a while. And like, while yes, it was relevant still, it wasn't again as news heavy as it has been lately. Right. So it's a whole different perspective. Totally. And we, Joe and I kind of talked about it before we started recording, but um, this we're normally we kind of have a template of the questions we ask, the categories we cover, and there'll be, there'll be some of that, that that's the same. Um, but we're just kind of, we kind of just wanted to take this one as like, we're going to talk about certain elements of the film and just see where that leads us and, and just kind of talk about it because it's this one, this film right now is just a little bit different or a lot different than like the cable guy or right. not that there's anything wrong with the cable guy, but um, so yeah, we'll, we'll move on from that and just kind of go down. Joe, do you have any stats as far as like how it did um, financially and everything I, like that? I do. So do the right thing premiered at the Cannes film festival on May 19th, 1989, um, but opened up to everyone on July 21st, 1989. It had a budget of $6 million and made $37.3 million in the box office. It was directed, produced, written by Spike Lee, and also acted by Spike Lee. Um, so it's very much his film. This movie was really, oh, this is a cool little fact I found out, which I didn't know about until I did a little research into this. Um, this film was supposed to be originally released by Paramount, but they want okay. to change the ending and make it all happy. I heard um, that. Yep. Yeah, and then as Spike Lee put it, they wanted Sal and Mookie to hug and sing We Are the World, but that's not real, and Lee didn't want that ending, so he told Paramount no deal on a Friday and told Universal yes uh, on a Monday. Cool. Um, so you know, And then Universal's Tom Pollock said, Spike can make the film he wanted, it just can't be a penny of our budget, and he kept his word, so. Which, just to touch on the budget thing real quick, <clears throat> um, this film was, I think it was filmed in like one block of, of, of Bed-Stuy, of Brooklyn. And so he saved some money with like, obviously he's not traveling all over the world. But if you imagine some of the people that are in this film and some of them, it's their film debut, like Martin Lawrence and um, a few others. But And I realized Bugging Out was actually Gus. Did you ever see Breaking Bad? I, I didn't, but yeah. I. So I didn't realize that. That's actually Gus, which is like insane. Yeah. Like, and he's, Yeah. Yeah, no, if you were to try to make a film today and you said, all right, it's going to be a Spike Lee film, it's going to have, uh, well, rest in peace, but like Danny Aiello, Ozzy Davis, Rosie Perez, John Turturro, Samuel L. Jackson, um, Ruby D. again, rest in peace, Martin Lawrence, all these people, and, and there was budget restrictions, you'd think that the budget would be like $300 million or something like that, so what he did with, with that budget. I mean, that's not a super low budget, but, and the film has the charm of like an independent film with, but it's, it's so well done. And the cinematography, we'll get into that later. That's a whole other, maybe one of the, maybe the best I've ever seen. Um, but yeah, sorry, if you had more, sorry. No, 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 that was it. That was it. Okay. So financially it did, it did well at the box office, but long-term it's, it's, you know, done very well. Um, critically, 7.9 out of 10 on IMDb, 93% on Rotten Tomatoes. Siskel and Eber ranked it best film of 89, so they both agreed on that in top 10 of the decade. Uh, it's number 96 on AFI's top 100 films. Number 96. So, 
Really? I think so. I think so. Yeah, that's I could. Really, that's really high. Like, like it should be like I feel like it should be closer to like you know, middle right. range maybe, like a little lower yeah. in the list. Yeah, I agree. Um, so this film is, I mean, it's it's so timeless and it's classic and it's it's great. So um, normally one of the things we cover is what was going on in the world and I rattle off some stat about like Nolan Ryan striking out 15 people and then, you know, some celebrity thing and other films that came out. But some things that were going on uh, pretty close to this a little bit before this that inspired it were um, the Howard Beach incident where a black guy was killed and also the shooting of a, a woman named Eleanor Bumpers. And those two things, as well as just other, you know, racial injustices kind of inspired Spike Lee to write the film. And uh, it was also, oh my God, I'm spacing on it. What is the the deal with the, the hottest day? Um, oh my God. It's About, based on, uh, go ahead. No, we we're going to say it's, I realized I was based on something the hottest day. I actually, yeah, and it's who is the? I can't believe I'm spacing on the, the name right now. It's like the most classic um, horror movie guy of all time. How am I not? Is it Wes? It? No, no, no. Old. Older. We have to edit this out. This is embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's like, you know, when you have someone's name, um, like right on the tip of your tongue, and you're like, I'll let it, I'll Albert Hitchcock. Oh, Hitchcock. Hitchcock. Okay. I believe so. Yeah. Hold okay. On, me... Master of Suspense. Right. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, I was inspired by those two uh, incidents of violence and then also uh, an Albert Hitchcock thing where it was like crime that was caused by a super hot day or super hot weather. So, and Spike Lee supposedly wrote the screenplay in two weeks, which if you watch it now, I mean, maybe he did some some fine tuning and stuff like that, but that's that's crazy impressive. So, um, do you have a back of the DVD summary, Joe? Or yes, just to give people an idea. Again, if you haven't seen it yet, go see it. Stop listening to the stupid podcast and go watch it. So oh, and actually, while you're finding that, I'm drinking. I forgot to say. Oh yes, I'm drinking uh, from the Brooklyn Brewery because the film's set in uh, the Bed Stuy part of Brooklyn. So, I was like, oh, I've seen. Uh, I've seen Brooklyn Brewery stuff before, so and I've had some before, so I was like, oh, I'll grab some of that. So I found it, grabbed it, and I'm watching the movie the other day, and when the mayor goes into the convenience store looking for his beer, he opens his beer, and right above his beer, or the beer that he ends up getting, it's not what he wants, but there's a Brooklyn Brewery beer. It's not the, not the type I'm drinking right now. I'm drinking their ale, but um, it's very good, and it's like the first day in, in Massachusetts in the past month where it's not 95 degrees out, so I can actually drink an ale, so... Yeah, but sorry, Joe, go ahead with the back of the DVD. So the, the description reads, Salvatore, or Sal, is the Italian owner of a pizzeria in Brooklyn. A neighborhood local, bugging out, becomes upset when he sees that the pizzeria's wall of fame exhibits only Italian actors. Bugging out, who's a pizzeria in a black neighborhood, should showcase black actors, but Sal disagrees. The wall becomes a symbol of racism and hate to bugging out, and to the other people in the neighborhood, intentions eventually rise. Yeah, and and there's kind of two ways to look at that. Like I, I've I've heard that summary of the film before, and I've read it before on you know different online reviews and stuff like that. And there's part of me that goes, that's like not at all what this movie is about. That's not you know like it's not about. But then there's part of me where that is what it's about, and and I think that's kind of the genius of one thing I love is a is a film that's set in one day. Like that's just, I'm a sucker for that. And I think it's, it's, it's kind of like the, the element for, for a pro, like the kind of the firewoods there. And that is one of the things that, that lights the fire, but really what it is, is it's in a city and the good thing and the bad thing about living in New York city, not that I've ever lived there, but any city is that you're crammed together and when it's hot, it's miserable. And I think that's just kind of like the match that, that starts the fire. But, um, that's an interesting scene because you can kind of watch it. And I actually, I read an interview with Spike Lee where he talks about it, where you can see both sides of the argument. You can see how Sal's like, I'm an Italian guy. I've been here forever. 
the people that I look up to are Italian. So it's my pizza place. I'm putting what I want on the walls. But then you can also see the other side of it. We're bugging out. It's like, you're the only two white guys or the only three white guys, you and your two sons within, you know, a few miles, you should cater to the people that are your customers. But so it's, it's an, it's an interesting discussion. If you watch this movie and that's one of the things that's great about it is if you watch this film with someone, you can take two of the most decent people ever who have only good hearts and you can pause it at like five different points and be like, I see, I see both sides of this. You know what I mean? And, and I think that's the great thing about the characters too. And Sal, there are some exceptions. Some of the characters in this film are just complete dirt. But Sal's one of those ones where there's a part of the film where you're like, you know what? He's rough around the edges, but you love him. And then there's parts where you're like, you messed up. Exactly. Like they keep it, Spike Lee does a good job keeping this whole thing ambiguous. You have, yep. it's always open. You can always kind of talk about it, analyze it. That's why it's, we didn't analyze the film in school, but we did the script, but schools do analyze this film and they talk about like, you know, they, they talk about both sides, if there's a right, if there's a wrong, but Spike Lee does a really good job keeping it ambiguous. So when you talk, when you say you, you studied the script, like what are things that they take, like how do, how do people that teach that class see this differently than someone like myself, who's just like a I mean, we film. didn't for the script. It was more of like a blueprint of how a, what a script looks like. So like we have, you can tell the act breaks in the movie, yep. the character developments. I guess we spend, the movie's two hours long and we spend close to what? Maybe an hour and 20, an hour and a half all developing the characters. We know yeah. who these characters are. We know New York's. We know New York, the character, like we're going to talk about. We know all these characters and the settings of this film. So we know the struggles. We know, you know, everyone's strengths and so forth. So we can have a better, better argument in the end when the characters do all just kind of clash with each other. We have a better understanding of like where everyone is. And it's easier to take sides if you can. It's obviously like he's ambiguous, but you can have an argument for both sides with a little bit of a debate because you know these characters. You know what's great too about, and I'm just, when you just said that, it reminded me. So I've seen this movie in my life probably like six or seven times. So when I rewatched it a few months ago, it changed my whole view on it. I mean, I always liked it, but it changed my view on it. And now this is going to be a film that I watch more frequently, but I've seen it like a handful of times. Say. And even though I know what happens, the tension, you can feel, you feel like you're in Brooklyn on a 98 degree day with everyone's irritated and you know, whatever. And there are a few scenes like the extra cheese scene, um, where they hose, where they uh, open the um, fire uh, fire hydrant and they hose down uh, the guy in the, the convertible. Um, there's a few scenes where even though I've seen it, I'm like, oh, like it's about to go off. Like someone's, the pre- it's about to blow up and the the, the pressure's like gonna, it's getting too much and and then it doesn't and it doesn't and it doesn't and then that's kind of what leads to the ending being right. It's a literal boi- boiling point. The movie's yeah. a literal boiling point throughout from start to finish. Right. Yeah. So it, yeah. I mean, like we said, it's there's a million good things to say about it. But um, so we're gonna do some, like we said, we're gonna do some different things instead of the normal categories and just kind of talk about some elements of this film. And the first one is the soundtrack. <clears throat> um, so obviously the 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 soundtrack, like if you buy it in stores, is, there's some great songs on it. Uh, one thing I noticed that I wanted to point out that you don't really think of when you think of the soundtrack and and this is where spike lee is he's a weird weird guy in the best way i love how this movie's set in the late 80s and it's a like if you think of this movie you think of hip-hop music right but during like a lot of the scenes where where mookie's just thinking about stuff there's like this like classic like I don't know if it's like 40s or 50s, like horn music. Kind of like jazzy. I love, yeah, like yeah, jazz very, music. I, right. I loved it. I, that's the, I loved it. Like, I loved that part of it over the rap for sure, the jazzy part of it all. Right, right. Now, and then with you said with the rap, so um, Fight the Power from Public Enemy plays 15 times during this film. Does it really? I didn't yes. realize that. And that's because it's like done so well that you, you're just like – it just fits. The, I would never think that you could play a movie, play a song 15 times during a movie and not have me be like, all right, enough of this stupid song. I mean, obviously they don't play it like start to finish each time, but 
but still. So, but then other than that, um, feels so good from Perry, my fantasy from Guy. Uh, it's 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 for the for the era and for the area that it's covering. It's it's perfect. It's unreal. So, um, other than that, some of the characters and in the film. So I wanted to talk a lot about Sal and his son. So Sal's played by Aiello. Uh, his son Pino's played by Jonathan Turturro and Vito, who's kind of the middleman. Yeah. Yeah. He's the, he's not as important, but, but he's a good, he's a good kind of someone to compare to. So he's played by Richard Edson. So that family and the differences between them are kind of essential to the film. So they're mad at the world. Well, not all of them. Pino, Turturro's mad at the world like 24-7. So they're mad that things are changing. And then part of that is like the gentrification, which that's one of the things if you read a review of this now and you look back and you see these lists of like, how many things did, did uh, Spike Lee totally predict? And one of them is gentrification. So they're mad at that. And then obviously there's the race thing. Um, I think Aiello in particular He's not my favorite character in the movie, obviously, but he might be the MVP of the film because, like we said earlier, at some time, sometimes you hate him, one time in particular, and then sometimes you kind of like him. And, and he reminds me a lot of Robert De Niro's character in A Bronx Tale where he's, I don't want to say old-fashioned because it, like, it's giving him an, an out, but he's old and so he's not too woke i think you know? so right before in the like before he's rough around the edges he like yeah you see him interact with these customers as they come in the beginning and he loves them he's giving you know i, I like the mayor money to help to out the walk yep. yeah it's like he's he's supportive of his, of his of the customers and that community um but like you said though he can also say something stupid <laughs> right yeah he does yeah and then i'll say stuff but then you have that scene with with him and pino where He's saying to Pino, like, why are you so angry? And Pino wants them to, he wants them, he brings up, like, should we move the shop? Should we sell it and just do something else? And he says, like, you know, people have, I've, like, fed these kids as they grow up. I've watched people grow up in front of me. I've watched people get old in front of me. And at that scene, you're like, he's a good guy. He's like, he's a good guy. But then 10 minutes later, you know, and, and that's, yeah, yeah. And, and, that, and that's the genius of the whole film is, Every character, for the most part, I mean, some of them, there's a bigger gap, like there's a bigger range, but every character, like sometimes Mookie does stuff and you're like, you're, you're an idiot and you're being an asshole, you know, and, and but then there's other times you, where you love them. So, um, so I, and he, I mentioned that you've seen Bronx Tale, right? Yeah, again, it's been a while, but yeah, I've seen it. So there's a scene in the Bronx tale. It's like very similar. Robert De Niro, he plays a, a guy who drives the bus in the Bronx. And uh, th- he's talking about his son is telling him how he kind of like likes a, a, a black girl. And Robert De Niro's like, you know me, like I just think we should kind of Italians should marry Italians, Irish should marry Irish. So he's got that kind of like, he seems like a good dude, but he's a little too old fashioned. And, I th- and that reminded me of Aiello. And then I found out <clears throat> after that, I guess Spike Lee was, he wanted De Niro for the role of Sal. And I love Robert De Niro. You won't find really a bigger De Niro fan than me. But I think if De Niro is, is plays Sal, it totally changes this movie for the worse. Not that De Niro is a great actor and I'm sure he would have like completely killed the, the role. It probably would have made a, way, a lot more money, but you'd be thinking too much that it's De Niro. Aiello is the perfect blend of he's an accomplished actor, actor, but he's not someone that you're like you've married to another role, you know? Right. I agree with that. So, um, yeah, well, I pretty much had uh, I wrote down similar to what you had. Uh, Sal was questionable at times, but I don't think he was, you know, he was a straight up racist. Um, the way he interacts with characters who are regular is the drunk who comes in, um, known as the mayor, which we'll talk about pretty soon, and how he treats Mookie pretty much like he does his sons. He treats them all the same. He's he's rougher with them. He's yelling, he yells at all of them. He doesn't treat anyone differently. They're all the same. He treats them all the right. same. Um, Pino, however, is a mess. When him and Mookie are having the conversation about Prince and Black people, it's not like how people try to defend All Lives Matter during the Black Lives Matter movement. The way he was trying to like defend himself, I got like a lot of glimpses of that. How people, you know, right now, like the standard will be like, 
but all lives matter. Yeah, it's like, we get that. But right now, black lives matter. It's like, they're the ones who are going through all this. You are not. So that that whole conversation between the two of them and the pizza in the back of the pizza store is kind of like, this is again, very relevant. I um, saw some, I saw something the other day that was like, uh, I'm, I'm going to butcher it, but it was like saying all lives matter is like, imagine if your house is on fire and then the fire department came to your house and someone like stopped them and they were like, all houses matter. It's like, yeah, but your house isn't on fire right now. <laughs> like the white house isn't on fire. Right. You know? I, I, everything again, another, uh, someone was saying it's like if your uh if your kid says two plus two is isn't four uh, isn't five it's like yeah you're not yeah you're right but you're also it's like come on that's not the point of this it's, right yeah <laughs> right exactly um but yeah and then hearing that discussion between the two of them you get the sense that he doesn't know what he's talking about and it's just the entire point of everything um the other son Vito, is in the middle between what is right and what is wrong he trusts mookie yep. and likes his company but his older brother puts thoughts in his head where he starts questioning where he belongs. And I'm happy we didn't see him really take a stand in the end because like, I feel like that middleman is very important. Like we have, we have yeah. a little bit of everything in this movie. We have different groups, different aggressions, but he was always like that middleman. Like he never like really, never really did anything emotionally reckless, which I liked about that character for the most part. Yeah. No, you needed him. Yeah. yeah. So speaking of Mookie, so what do you think about the character of Mookie and then also Spike Lee as an actor playing Mookie? I actually kept this kind of short. So I thought Spike Lee did great. I never would have thought, you know, I never would have, I'm sure if you've put an else in that role, they would have done the same. Like they would have done great as well. But Spike Lee, I feel like this movie, he already directed, produced, wrote it. He really truly made it his when he acted in it as well. So like, this is his film. Um, but getting the character of Mookie, I also thought he was great. He was another person in the film who tried getting along with everyone, but eventually everyone has a breaking point. So it was kind of, again, a real take on a character who tries to be good, but can't always keep his head together. Yeah, and, and I agree pretty much exactly what you said. I think that you could have found a better actor to play Mookie, but I think Spike Lee's genius in this film and most of his films is that he Spike Lee for better and for worse is so New York and he knew what this movie he knew what this movie was in his head and he you could find someone who could read scripts better than him and everything like that but he knew what he wanted I think he was the perfect choice to to play Mookie he, and and for someone who's not an actor you know I mean he is but he's not that's not his strong suit that's not what he makes his his money with most of the time I thought he did great. I, I read some reviews of like him and Rosie Perez saying like, oh, you know, they could have done better and whatever. It's like, it was Rosie Perez's first, first film. First right, of she's all. in it for like five minutes. I think right. we can, I think we can, we're right. okay with. <laughs> right. And then Spike Lee, I thought what he lacked in like, is he Denzel with like the acting chops? No, but he, he, he was perfectly made for the, the role because it's his role. Like he made it. So exactly. um, no, I agree with you. Um, New York City. So to switch to a comp- movie that could not be more different than this, I told Joe last summer, Joe and I went to New York City for a, a Yankees Red Sox game. And what an old great- statement, huh? huh? An old statement going out in public. Joe and I left people. the house <laughs> and got on a subway. Um, no, but uh, I, I had been to New York like a handful of times before that, but I just kind of didn't really get the appeal of it that much. But that night I totally got it. And not that I'm, I'm still like a, a New York rookie as bad as you can be, but I, I got the appeal of it. Um, and, the, and the film that I brought up to Joe when, when that happened was, um, again, totally different style of movie, but Nick, is, Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist. And that movie I think also has New York city as a character, yep. but this is like a different side of New York city and cinematographer, Ernest Dickerson, you could not this, this, I can't think, I'm sure there are, there are other movies that have great cinematography, but this should be, I don't know if you took a cinematography class in college, Joe, cause you did more script writing stuff. But if this isn't brought up in cinematography class, if there is a cinematography class, 
then it's it's a shame because this is one of the most beautiful movies you will ever see in your life the color and just the way that everything's everything's talking to you the backgrounds everyone's clothes everything how it's shot the the angle where there'll be like in and up there'll be a scene in an apartment of two people talking and the camera just like comes out of the apartment and now it's onto the street it's and the fact that it was done in 89 is 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 crazy so i know what, you have any other thing to add for for new york city you pretty much covered it i had uh seeing up brooklyn's portrayed in this film was like you said one of the highlights for sure it shows how people are struggling, how everyone knows each other, and how passionate they are about where they live. They're very passionate. As we saw yeah. with like the whole scene with the guy in the bird jersey, how they took offense to that. Oh my god. <laughs> it's it things like that. It's like it shows like how passionate they are with their with their with where they live. Um, and then I love how which will be a transition in a second. I love how De, the the mayor pretty much is the one who looks over the block. He's like the kind of like the guardian of the block, which I loved. We're going we're gonna to get to the mayor in one second, but you brought up the guy in the bird jersey. So I have to bring up the two things. <laughs> the two things about that. So credit to Spike Lee, because if I was, being from the Boston area, if I was making a movie about set in Boston and I had to have some guy who was a total tool, I would have him wearing like a Yankees hat or something like that. But <clears throat> what made him, if you watch this movie once real quick and you pay it and, you, and you're paying you're kind of paying attention what st- will stick out to you is he's a white guy wearing a larry bird jersey in brooklyn right so you're like that's that's kind of annoying that's that's yeah. bad yeah. but the real thing that makes him a tool is that he was born there and there's nothing i hate more because you got to think this movie's made in 89 so that is the same thing as like joe and i know some kid who like when I went to high school was like, if it was like born where we were born, but he's like, Oh, I'm a Yankees fan. It's like, because well, they've been winning championships for the past 10 years in a row, you asshole. So that more than anything, not that he was like a, uh, an uppity, like, you know, gentrification jerk or he stepped on the guy's shoes. The fact that he was from New York and was wearing a Celtics jersey, I was like, Oh, I hate you so much. <laughs> and that, um, that actor, um, What's his name? John Savage. He's 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 like a, you know, he's been in a million movies. So that's another one of the movies. Where, another one of the things in this this like he was in the Deer Hunter and and all sorts of things. And every casting decision, every decision in this movie seems like they they nailed it. But that was another one where I was like, there's no one in this movie. There are people in this film where at the time they weren't anyone, but now it's like, oh, that's Martin Lawrence. I know. You know what I mean? But yeah, so Joe Joe wanted to. We kind of talked about uh, different things we wanted to talk about, and Joe was the one that brought up um, the mayor. So Joe, you, you want to kick us off with your thoughts on Ozzy Davis as the mayor? Yeah, first of all, he nailed that role. He was so good. Um, but the mayor now, his first appearance is showing the audience how much of a drunk he is, working at sales for money, um, paying a kid to get him a beer. But underneath that layer, he's the true peacemaker of the film. We never see him causing any trouble. He actually says to the woman he's crushing on that he doesn't, he's not there bothering anyone. He just, he just, you know, he just does his thing. Yep. He risks his life to save a kid. And then lets the kid decide to tell the truth or not, because the kid's scared. Yep. But just like all peacemakers, they're the voice unheard, which sounds all too familiar right now. Yep. Um, out of all the characters, the mayor was truly doing the right thing. And it really was a show. No, keep going, keep going. Sorry. No, I was just going to say, it surely goes to show you really can't judge a book by its cover. He was yes. a piece of in the film, and it's like, and I, I think that's like the, the, that's the biggest eye-opener is they make him look like this kind of like this putz, but he was, in the end, the only one doing the right thing. He had a good heart, yeah. Yep. And he actually kind of risks his life twice because at the end, when the whole neighborhood's, you know, going right. to kill Sal and his family, he's the one standing up in front of everyone. And saying like, guys, you know, everybody just go home. Like something, you know, we're heading down the wrong road. And yeah, exactly like you said, he's, he's don't judge a book by its cover. He looks like a mess and he is a mess. He is. In, a, in certain ways, but he's a good, good man. And, and yeah, the, his, his relationship with, with everyone in the film, but particularly with mother sister, who's played by Ruby D who's his wife in real life. Oh, or, I know that. Yeah, they, yeah, they passed away, but <clears throat> which, yeah, now that you know that, 
go back and watch this again because I watched this and I thought of like, you know, if I filmed a movie with my wife and they were just like, Eric, your role is to just go annoy the shit out of your <laughs> wife. I'd be like, done. I know how to do that. <laughs> That's my way so good. But then Ruby D is so good too. And she's kind of the opposite, right? Like, so she is like, she looks like she's got her, her shit together and she's, you know, she's not that friendly, but she looks a lot more put together. But then when that stuff goes down at Sal's, what does she scream? She's like, burn it down, burn it to the ground. So yeah, no, the mayor is, and even, even and the mayors, you can hear him yelling in the background. No, no, no. Yeah. When they're bringing it down, like you don't see him saying it, but you hear him in the background. It's like all these things that, like you said, he risks his life by kind of just like trying to bring peace amongst all the crowds and the anger, but it's, and when they're talking about the when they're talking about the heat, he tells that story where he's like, I, I think he says St. Louis. I could be wrong about that. But he says something about like, I remember the summer of whatever in St. Louis. It was worse than it was hotter than this or whatever. And really what he is is he's experienced. And it just goes to show you like that means more than than any degree or he's seen some stuff and he's probably seen some horrible stuff. But yeah, he he is so necessary in this film because he's the one person who every time you see him you're you're smiling and and he's got the roughest life or one of the roughest lives other than maybe smiley probably but and he's he's generally happy like he's trying to enjoy life and um one thing i did see about that and this kind of goes it's similar to the the de niro as sal thing that role was originally offered to james earl jones who i love but i can't imagine anyone being Ozzy being the mayor other than Ozzy Davis he's he was so good he's and he and other parts about this other people and other parts of the film are what make it this weird thing where this movie's so heavy and it like hits you and it makes you think but it's also super rewatchable and that's that's very very rare so um we kind of touched on it with what we just said about the mayor but so the end scene um starting with the kind of the confrontation at sal's um radio raheem getting killed by the cops which if you haven't watched this movie in a long time that's the that's the point where with everything going on right now you're like oh my god my heart it's, dropped yeah yep it's like it's and again like if we talked about in the beginning this just happened again two days ago. So it's like, again, it's like, it's like another day in the news at this point. It's unreal. <clears throat> and I, don't you feel so stupid? Like we, I think we said this when we talked about this, that we were going to cover this film, but you guys can tell, and we've said it a million times, Joe and I are, we have no idea. We're white as, as right. snow and you almost feel stupid talking about this stuff. Like I know I feel stupid because I never thought that like, I never thought that racism wasn't a thing, but I will 100% admit that I, the past year or two years, whatever, has been pretty eye-opening to me. I, I didn't, and, and I always think of this, I may have even brought it up when we talked about it before, but this thing with Will Smith when he says, this stuff isn't new, it's being filmed. And, you know, it's it sucks, man. It's... And, but then, like, you feel stupid even saying that because, like, what good does that do and whatever. Right. But, uh, it, um, really is a, it really is a shitty time right now. And that's why, I don't know, it's important times are coming. Important times are coming for sure. So it's. Yeah. Yep. And talk to, I guess, to, to, steer, to steer clear of the national thing, you brought up, we have a, a local kid around us, Andy, Andy Vargas. Um, find people like that in your community who whatever side of whatever issue they sit on find like good people and especially young people because i think that's the and andy's young i think that's what we need we need more young intelligent people with good hearts you know however they feel about taxes or whatever that's different but right they're 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 growing up in our time right now we don't have people from like you know they're eight years old seven years old who grew up in a different time taking charge like it's like you said, young people, I think, has to be the future. Right. Very important. So, yeah, the, the end scene in general. So there's a confrontation. Then the cops, a confrontation with Radio Raheem because he's playing his his, uh, his boombox, which if you're under the age of 
I don't know, 25. I mean, even you, you probably don't even, you know what they I, are. I, I just missed, I just missed the, uh, the boom box phrase, unfortunately. <laughs> right. No. So it's just a giant radio, which as you're walking around listening to this podcast on your tiny cell phone, it's like, it's, it's crazy to think about, but so it starts with that. And then the cops end up getting called because Sal gets into a fight with them and the cops end up killing radio Raheem. Um, and then that turns into the 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 peak of the t- all this tension that we've been feeling <clears throat> throughout the city where there's kind of a standoff and there's this great shot where it's the streets and the streets are filled with all the residents of the neighborhood and they're all just staring at Sal and his two sons and Sal and his two sons are sta- staring back and then the mayor is trying to make peace and Mookie walks up grabs a trash can, throws the lid off, and then throws it through the, the window at Sal's and starts a, a riot. So, or what's the word I'm looking for? Not a riot. A... Well, like you said, like they were, it was almost like looting, but it was just destroying. Looting. At this point, it was just destroying. It was, they were they right. weren't there for anything else except to just destroy the building. So that is another thing that's hits super close to home, right? Because with all the stuff that's been going on recently, one of the th- things that some people talk about is like oh yeah but they're looting people are running into stores and they're stealing stuff blah 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 <clears throat> and i think it's interesting that they, that had to be on purpose at spike leap because they they go into the store and one of the first things you see he could have easily just made it a scene of them breaking more stuff lighting stuff on fire and running out <clears throat> but then he makes it so a couple people run in break the register open and steal it and i saw that Watching that this time, it was the first time that I was. Oh, did they steal it? Did they steal register? They stole money out of the register. Oh, okay. I I must have. Okay, I missed that then. Yeah. So, and it just goes to show you, like that doesn't that doesn't mean what they are. It doesn't make what they are upset about any less real or any less important. It's just that there's like one or two people that are going to be that guy or that girl. So that jumped out to me. And like you said, um the studio execs wanted a happy ending and this film wouldn't be anything if there was a happy ending. It, it couldn't, it couldn't have it. Right. So um, why that, all that said, why do you think, because the, to set this up, there's like these conspiracy theories online, right? Where they say, some people would say that Mookie threw the trash can through the window because he was trying to save Sal and Pino and Vito because he needed to like break the tension. He needed to, he, he was kind of like, it was going to be Sal or his restaurant. So he was like, I'll save Sal. But I guess um, Spike has come out and said that that's not the case. But he, but he also hasn't elaborated that I, as far as what I've seen on what was the case. So why do you think Mookie threw the trash can through the window? I mean, I think he was, his, his friend just got murdered by the police and tensions were flung up to begin with. So in that moment, he takes a garbage can throws it through the window because he has his breaking point, just like we all do. So I don't think, I don't think it was like any sort of symbolism of like him trying to protect everyone. I think he was just at that moment that was his boiling point. And we all have it, and he took a can and started the looting, basically. Yep. Um, that's why I love how Spike Lee Rose's character as also not doing the right thing because I actually yep. put that out. I, I, I saw this off by saying, did Mookie do the right thing? No, he didn't. He was right. just like everyone else in the situation. He was angry and he had every right to be angry. And from there on out, it just escalated and escalated and escalated. I agree. And, and I, were you going to say something? No, 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 no. Okay. I, one thing I liked that I noticed this time is when the confrontation starts, right? Like, after the police leave, Mookie is standing next to Sal, Pino, and Vito. And I don't think that was on accident because he's standing next to them. And as the guys start yelling at Sal and his sons, Mookie steps away from them. And I think that's like a, a symbolism of like, you know, I've been with you and I've, I'll, I've stuck up for you on certain stuff. And I, I'm, I, you know, whatever but I'm done. Like I, I, I can't take this anymore. And he goes and he gets a can. And like you said, he just, he, everyone has a boiling point and, and he reached his and, and, um, and he just lost it. Right. So like the end supposed to bring us anger. Uh, 
everyone is wrong situation and it quickly, I just, I like we just said, it escalates. Um, everyone can handle things differently. And it's like, it got me thinking, it's like, once we, once Ray Raheem was killed by the cops, it just made my heart drop. I work with people with disabilities. And in the past, when I was working on a day program, which you know, um, before the before I went to the high school, I was actually nervous sometimes. We would go like we would take clients outside the community, like go for walks and everything. Uh, Hero Stadium, we would go for a walk, whatever. But if we ever crossed a cop, sometimes the clients would get excited and like kind of run towards them, and it always made me nervous because <laughs> cops aren't trying to deal with certain people. So people like disabilities, I was always kind of nervous about like. We had this 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 guy Phil. He would he was super aggressive, but he didn't mean to be. He was like a, he was like a big aggressive bear, but I would never feel safe bringing him near a cop because I wouldn't know what the cop would do to him if he got aggressive. So like, well, no, no, go ahead, go ahead. I was just gonna say like it's just just like the way like the whole movement with trying to get cops to either provide better training to their officers for situations like this or um, even like professionals other professionals i think we are at a time where we do need to kind of like kind of reevaluate the roles everyone should have and like how to handle certain certain situations and so forth that's no i agree no i i i totally agree and, and i think that's what some people don't understand is when you say that you're not saying that we should get rid of the police right defunding the police but, does not mean get rid of them no no right or 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 train like reform doesn't even mean defund it's like right. we're just saying that yeah yeah no i totally agree with you it's um there was that kid last year who it was just it was exactly what you just said it was he i don't remember what his condition was but he had some sort of you know disability or handicap and the cops just i don't remember how they killed him i feel like they I think it's the situation with the taser, right? They kept tasering him, and he ended yeah, yeah. just and eventually just died. He had a seizure or something. I yeah, I think correctly. that was it. Yeah. So yeah, no, exact exactly what you just said, and um, that so basically that happens, and a lot of people, if you haven't seen the movie in a long time, you kind of remember that as the end of the film, but then after that, there's this weird, not weird in a bad way, but the next day Mookie shows up to Sal. Sal's sitting in front of his burned down pizza place and Mookie asks him for money. He says he gets $250 a week. He wants that money. And then they have like a brief altercation where Sal's like, I built this with my bare hands and you know, blah, blah, blah. And then at the end of it, they end up just talking about weather and, and they're kind of over it. And, it, and, and it's, and then later on in Red Hook summer, another Spike Lee film, Spike Lee is shown as Mookie delivering pizzas for Sal. So it's this weird, like it's a day in the life of Brooklyn and there's, you know, high extreme highs and extreme lows. And it's just weird. I do love that end scene when like they're trying to like the, they're, he's going for his money and like they're tossing it back because Mookie's just there for his honest, what he's owed. And like, Dude. once he gets extra, he's like, I don't, this is too much. Your doll is over. So he throws it back to him. And it's like, it's different. He's a proud like, man. <clears throat> I, I love that scene too. It's a similarity between the two of them. They're, they're both stubborn, like proud, stubborn to a fault, proud, like assholes in a way. And Mookie's not bad in the same way that, that Sal's bad, but Mookie's like, which is kind of like the response to Sal being like, "Oh, you want money? Here, here's five hundred dollars." It's like, but uh, yeah, I, I love that scene. I love no, a good like, stubborn person. It's kind of like what I was. That's kind of what I was getting at. Like, I love how like they're kind of like honest. Like, it's a, it's a different type of honesty, but like, right? It's they, like a code. Uh, right. Exactly. It's like a code. Right. So, um, and then the 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 kind of the real scenes. There's a a black screen where it shows a quote from Martin Luther King. And a quote from Malcolm X and kind of the the gist of each quote is Martin Luther King is you know saying that like he doesn't believe in violence he you know he does, he, he thinks you should try to just figure it out peace peacefully and, and everything like that and, and Malcolm X do you have the quotes or parts of the quotes or no I don't but I can tell you what I had for my thoughts yeah, yeah. so like you like you said it's a whole thing of like they what I put down is 
to keep it simple, racism leads to destruction and chaos. And there are both good people and bad people in the world. But sometimes the people with the power are the loudest and most vocal. Um, the good people need to make their voice heard as well and peacefully protest to make change. And between the two of them combined, that's what I took out of it. And I think it's true and it's slowly working, I feel like. People are still protesting. Change has been happening, not as fast as we'd all like, unfortunately. But it is slowly, we're slowly getting, we're slowly making progress, finally. But it's going to take a long time until we're fully where we need to be. But protesting has been making a, has been changing things. And I think that it's important because um, I said that Martin Luther King's quote is all about peace. Malcolm X's quote is kind of the opposite, but it's not really the opposite because Malcolm X's quote, and I don't remember the quote exactly, but his was about his, like power and like um, it, it was very was much about, about power and good people versus bad people and like you know it's and it was a self-defense thing. It, right. He was kind of saying like, listen, I'm not saying go up and punch someone on the street for no reason, but it was like don't take shit. Like right. that's you know so. That's an important distinction to make because I think a lot of times Malcolm X gets portrayed as this guy who was telling people to run around and start trouble, and he he wasn't. He was just like, "Be firm, have a backbone." Right. Like, Actually, so. like, like I got that part of it from his quote where I was I felt that he was saying, you know, the people who are good need to have their voice heard as well. Right. And I like that's how I kind of took it as like peacefully protesting. <laughs> Don't get involved with the instigators, like. Bugging out, for example, or um, yes. or um, Pino, like they're instigators on both sides, and like yep. don't get involved with them. Just kind of do it peacefully, and you know. And bugging out was kind of um, it's it's an interesting film to watch. I'm glad you just said that. So, bugging out is kind of what I think. I'm on the um, of the I'm on the I don't know who the I'm on the mayor side of of things here. But bugging out, if you if you put bugging out in today's world, bugging out is like, he's kind of like that young person who the other side thinks is always just looking for a problem, you know? And so he, like you said, he's, he's the extreme on one side. And then Totoro's character is the extreme on the other side where like his own father says to him, it's like, why are you so angry? And then that whole thing is, is interesting too, because if you look at Totoro, um, or if you look at Sal and, and then his two sons, Sal is flawed for sure, but he also has some good sides. And then you wonder with his sons and then people that I know and you know, it's so weird how like one, you can have two kids grow up in the same environment, same city, everything. And one of them is a total piece of shit. And not that Sal's other son um, was like a saint or anything. Not that Vito was a saint, but it's it's just, it's crazy, man. I don't well, know. You, know. you definitely see the difference between two of them for sure, though. You know, like right. the influence that he, that Pino was having on Vito was rubbing off on him. And it's, yeah. Yeah. So if you could, is there, if you could change one thing about this film, what would you what would you change? See, I don't know. It's like, I really wouldn't change anything. I think the movie's really good the way it is. And it, it's Spike Lee's masterpiece for a reason. Um, there are some things I would, I would look at this view different. I would view this from differently. If it ended certain ways, like if it ended with Smiley putting the picture of the, of Martin Luther King and Malcolm X and ended there, I'd be like, damn, like that is a powerful ending. Yep. Um, but I also really like how we see the interaction between Mookie and Sal. So it's kind of like double-edged sword. So other than like maybe some actors, which even that isn't a sour spot at all, there's nothing really I would change. Speaking of Smiley, did you know that uh, that character wasn't even in the original screenplay and they only put him in because uh, Roger Guinevere Smith, if I'm pronouncing that name wrong, I'm sorry. He, he like lived in the neighborhood and he basically nagged Spike Lee into putting him into the movie. So they wrote the character for him. That's awesome. <laughs> and that's, yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't, I don't really have much that I would change at all about this, this film. I, uh, selfishly, what I wish I could change is getting more of an answer. But the genius of the film is that you finish it, the credits roll, and you just start thinking. We and talk you're about like, like we're doing here. We just talk about it. It's like, exactly. what does it mean? 
Right. So, yeah, I don't, I don't have anything I would change either, really. I, I especially now where it's it's thirty something years later and it's still so relevant and whatever. I think it's it's pretty much perfect. So, um, we can kind of get into scores. I'm interested to hear not your score, well, that too, but what you think about the film and 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 how. It, I, it changed, like you said earlier, from when you talked about it in film class. So what do you think? Oh, real uh, real quick, what we rate scale, things on a scale of one to five, would you mind paying a lay fee to keep this movie? Score of one is uh, no, I'm going to get 10 minutes in, not even going to get through the, the dance scene to open the movie, which, by the way, another thing I love, I love movies that are set in one day, and I love opening scenes where they don't mail it in and they don't just like do, Oh, this is, they could have done like an overhead shot of New York city with the credit, with the opening credits. I love movies that you turn it on. And the minute the movie starts, you're, you're, you know, Rosie Perez is dancing and you're like in the world. You know what I mean? So anyway, scale of one, did you just turn it off? Rosie Perez doesn't even get to her second dance move. You turn the film off or turn it to the video rental store because you don't want to finish it. You don't want to pay late fees all the way up to a five where you're willing to pay the late fees, keep it a few extra days to watch it a few more times, maybe show it to a friend. So, Joe, your review of uh, Do the Right Thing. Five. And it's, and I just want to make clear that last episode I gave myself and Irene a five as well. That's, oh, don't, you don't have to explain No, that. I know, but I, I just, by having back-to-back fives, though, it's just like, there's there are differences between, like, great movies and porn films and then films yes. like that. I just want to make sure that no, I got that cross. It's like, yes, don't have to explain that. <laughs> so this is a five. It is like Ark was saying. It came out in 1989 and it's 2020, and this movie might be more relevant now than ever before. It's I saw this when I was younger. I saw it again in school, and that's when it hit me that you know this is a real thing happening. But watching it again for the first time in like seven or so years today or today and i i watched i I watched it today and i watched uh of it last night as well but it's just so relevant with everything happening it's someone again a man got murdered by a cop two days ago we're still kind of we're going backwards instead of going forwards at this point so it's it's a hard one to watch but it's one that is it's so important and if i if i wish this was kind of like mandatory viewing for people right now for everyone. Yes. I think it, it'd be an eye opener. It's especially an eye opener when you think that Spike Lee based this movie and came up with this movie growing up in New York city in the seventies and eighties ish. Right. And that was 30, 40 years ago. And like you said, nothing's changed. So he released his movie 30 years ago. People like myself, I, like I said, I, I didn't think stuff was still this bad. I didn't think it was perfect, but so yeah, I. I and like ahead. you said, I don't mean to interrupt you, but like you no, said, please. the news—it's like I don't want to get into this huge rant on like the news, but people are filming all this footage and like posting on social media, and we're getting—we get more information from there than we do than what we're seeing. So it's like it's crazy seeing. Like my parents, unfortunately, are some like the people who kind of they watch the news and that's where they get their sources from. Whereas like yep. people like our, our age, we are on social media. We can see people filming videos on the streets. And it's like, we get a wider range of the things that are happening right now. So it's like, it's crazy seeing <clears throat> the different age groups and like how we get our news sources. And it's really weird yeah. times right now. Yeah. I, um, I, I, we can skip to the, the score right away. I, I also give it a five. Um, this movie makes you think about, yourself especially myself as a white male um more than any other film i've ever seen and i gave it a five but it's funny when i was doing the review or when i was trying to think before i rewatched it i was like i almost it's kind of a lose-lose because i don't want to give it a five and try to seem like i'm doing this like oh i'm so i'm so woke thing but um it's the only score you can give it and i and like I said, it, it kind of makes you think about yourself more than any other movie I've ever seen. And that's a pretty unbelievable thing to say. Um, I think every character from Sal to his sons to Mookie, like we've talked about, 
they all have varying degrees of good and bad and within themselves and, and, and everyone can change for the better or for worse. And I was, I recently listened to a podcast totally unrelated um, from the guys that it was actually a beer podcast from the guys at Riverwalk Brewing in Newburyport. And they were talking about at the time, the George Floyd murder. So, so this is a few months ago and they weren't the people, they weren't the first people to say this, but it stuck with me when they said it. And I actually went back and forth with them on Instagram about it. But um, I think that we all need to get a little bit uncomfortable talking about this stuff. And that's what this film does is it makes you uncomfortable. But the reason it makes you uncomfortable is because you know that this is real now. If you didn't know before, you know, now this is real. And um, I've had conversations with close friends of mine recently that have made us both very uncomfortable but I think we all need to start having those conversations, whether it's with your friends or your family. <clears throat> and not everyone is this, not everyone is super far on this side or super far on that side. There's a lot of people that are on a scale of one to 10 of racism. Maybe they're a, maybe they're a six. So they, they, you know, they're not burning down churches, but that's still not good. And we need to, right. you know, and unfortunately have some, some people, conversation. Right. And unfortunately some people you won't be able to change their mind. Right, they've already had their mindset, so it's like you're gonna have both ends. And like you, you said earlier, you made me because this made me think of a conversation I've had with one, with someone who's pretty close to me recently. You brought up the scene where he's like, he brings up Prince, and who do you, who do you like? And that's what I've always thought, and and that's one of the things I was talking to my wife about recently is that I think the great thing about sports, for me growing up, is I I always thought like, you know, Mo Vaughn was black, you know, like some of my favorite people, Paul Pierce is black and whatever. So I, I think that helps, helped me at least not that I needed help. Not like I was grew up in a racist environment, but I think pointing out those people that everyone looks up to that are, you know, whether they're black, Spanish, Asian or white, whatever, it doesn't matter. So um, I can't think of a movie that's not a war movie that makes me smile and then like crushes me and then makes you smile again and then crushes me over and over again. Um, I, I love this movie. It's, it's, it's not perfectly polished and that's how it, it should be. It's, it's great. It's, it's a five in the, in the beer was very good too. It's just cool enough for my Brooklyn ale. So um, yeah, no, on, it's an, like we said, uncomfortable review in a way, but I really, really, really loved watching this movie again. And, if you haven't seen it or you haven't seen it in a while, I would, I would really suggest going back and rewatching it, especially with everything that's going on, but just in general. Yeah. So um, follow us on Instagram uh, worth a late fee. Suggestions are always welcome. We'll be back next week and it's Joe's turn to pick a movie. So um, we're going to, I think Joe has a little bit more lighthearted of a pick to kind of bring everything back. Yes. To, the whole point to level was things out. Absolutely. The whole point with this whole dark, dark topic uh, we had to, I feel like I had to bring it opposite direction completely. And we are going to talk about the uh, kids soccer film, The Big Green. What a transition. <laughs> transition. Oh boy. I, mean, I definitely need, I definitely need to have like a, just a de-stressing with that one, I think. so. <laughs> I'm going to try to get Bree to watch Do the Right Thing because I don't think she's ever seen it. And um, yeah, no, but I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm fairly excited to watch a big green because I remember liking it when I was like 10. So, or however old I was. So See, I don't remember you know. anything other than, the, other than the fact that the kid from the Sandlots. And <laughs> so. That's exactly what I remember. I remember that. I remember the cover of him like, Ooh, the, like the a soccer ball, like hitting yeah. with a crotch. It's like yep. typical. Yep. That's all I got. Other than that, I couldn't tell you one thing about the movie. So <laughs> it'll be interesting. So we'll be back next week with uh, <laughs> the big green with the great Hambino. All right. Thanks, guys. All right. Thanks, guys.